If you will, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're just going to launch right into the message today. Pastor David, this pulpit is awful short for a guy like me. <laughs> it's good to be back at Alamo. I always love being here. And uh, truly, it, it, it honestly is one of my favorite churches we ever preach in. I told our staff, two of our, our guys are with us today. And I told them yesterday, one of my all-time favorite places to preach is here. Um, I, I truly believe that. I love the diversity. Uh, I, I love the people. I love the pastor and his wife. It's just great to be back. Mark chapter 4, again, we'll just launch right into the message. Beginning in verse 35, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. This is what God's Word says. On the same day when evening had come, He said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're dying? And then he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. And they said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Father God, this morning, there's not a whole lot to say other than we need you. God, truly only you know in this room and even people watching online, it's so easy to go to church. It's so easy, God, to walk the streets of our hometowns and pretend that everything's okay when there's a battle raging in different areas of our life. God, no doubt there are people today who are in a very similar scenario to what we have just read. God, people who are struggling with faith, people who are filled with more questions than they are answers. God, people who need you to intervene because without you there is no hope. And so, God, we pray that today that you would just, by the power of your spirit, that you would show yourself strong. That God, somehow, some way, that by today, we would see you in a way that we've never seen you, and that we would see ourselves as we've never seen ourselves. That somehow, some way, God, today, that you would meet us at our need. And that today, God, we would experience the rescue that only you can bring. We pray in Christ's name, amen. It was about 11 o'clock at night. It was um, on the heels of a great week. I had been in St. Louis preaching at the largest Baptist church in the entire state of Missouri. I was looking forward to getting home because it was going to be spring break week, which meant I had been on the road with the team and we were tired and I was looking forward to having a few days off and we were going to go out in the country and spend some time fishing and hang out together as a family, which is exactly what we did. And just a few days um, after my arrival at home and us spending some time together, one night 
About 11 o'clock, my daughter, who had been hanging out with friends, came in late at night. About 11 o'clock, me and my wife and my youngest son were seated in the den watching TV, and she bebopped in and was grabbing something um, out of the cabinets in the kitchen. And in the context of making a snack that she was about to eat, she made comment that she had went with friends to a local steakhouse in our home city and, and had a strange observation. She said, it was kind of strange. She said, as I was eating dinner, I, I went to cross my legs at the table and I, I couldn't hardly do it. She said, I, it was strange, Dad. I, I had to grab my leg to help put it over the other one. And to be honest with you, I mean, I kind of dismissed it. When I was in St. Louis, she had been out in the country with some friends and there had been a four-wheeler accident. It was nothing major whatsoever. Matter of fact, it was so minor that my wife didn't even remember to tell me about it. And so when she made the comment about the difficulty in raising one leg over the other, I was very dismissive. I, I presume my wife was too. We didn't make a big issue out of it. My first thought was maybe there was just some lingering effects from the four-wheeler accident. And so she kind of hung around the kitchen for a little bit, just walking around, just normal like any other Saturday night. We planned to go to church the next morning. And she went off and went to bed. And we did so a couple hours later. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I heard the most horrendous screams. My initial thought, I, I, I hate to admit it, was that maybe someone was assaulting her in her bed. Well, me and my wife, we jumped out of bed and we walked in to see what's going on with our 19-year-old daughter. She was crying. She was screaming in pain. She said that when she moved her arms or moved her legs in any way, that the pain was as though someone were beating her with a hammer. I hate to even admit this, but as we walked downstairs, me and my wife, to grab some type of a pain reliever or something, I, I turned to my wife and I said, this is a little overdramatic. There's no way that someone can be in this much pain that four hours ago was at a steakhouse eating dinner with friends. Well, my wife laid in bed with her that night and then the next morning ushered her to a local clinic. It was Sunday morning. And before the sun had set that evening, we found ourselves in an emergency room, having no idea that we were about or we had actually launched into a journey that was going to, well, matter of fact, I would say going for seven months, but a journey that's still going on even as I stand here this morning. Our world was literally turned upside down. You've heard the old saying, your world can change in one phone call. You've heard the old saying that your world can turn upside down in a day, and you know it's true. You intellectually affirm that, but it's quite another story when it actually happens. Well, that's a great lead-in this morning to what we see happen here in Mark chapter 4. A world turns upside down in a moment. If you do some research on chapter 4, you'll see that it's been a phenomenal day of ministry. There are crowds that are flocking to come hear the teachings of Jesus Christ, and nobody can teach quite like he can. That day I taught a parable, the parable of the soils, one that many of you have been to church for years have heard on numerous occasions. There had been healings. A, a Roman centurion servant had been healed. It had been one of those incredible days. And the, the flocks were coming to hear Jesus as though it was a modern-day Beyonce concert. But yet as great as the day had been, by the time that evening had set, what had been a promising and exciting day was about to turn into a major struggle and a major storm. It's been said that 
Some of life's biggest difficulties often come on the heels of some of life's greatest successes. I think about just last week when we all saw on all the news outlets Hurricane Florence. I remember watching the news before Hurricane Florence arrived. I remember them showing the pristine beaches and the, the waves as they just casually rolled in. It would look like just a beautiful day. No one could have ever imagined the absolute horror, the absolute tragedy that was literally just moments away. It makes me nervous this morning even as I think about that and knowing just how quickly life can turn. Just yesterday on our way here, we saw a car that just right before we had passed by, had flipped over. God only knows whether or not that person survived. Well, the first thing that we want to look at in Mark chapter 4, we, we must look at this thing known as a storm. It, it's quite stunning when you really think about it. This hellish storm, it, it, it wasn't just a, a storm, but it was a, a big storm. If you do research on it, you'll discover that this would have been the equivalency of a, a modern-day hurricane, maybe a uh, uh, hurricane force winds, hurricane force damage. Wait a minute, you say, Jay, I, a storm following Jesus? Doesn't that seem a little bit odd to say a storm on the heels of Jesus? But actually, if you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would see that storms constantly followed him. Sometimes it was a storm of criticism. Sometimes it was a storm of misunderstanding. Sometimes it was a storm of attack. Sometimes it was storms of lies, and eventually it became a storm of a cross where he would be executed. The other thing that immediately stands out to me about this storm is, is not only is the storm licking the heels of Christ, but the second thing that really stands out to me is that not only is the storm on Jesus, the storm is on his friends. I mean, how could it be that Jesus would allow the closest to people to him on earth, his 12 disciples. These are the people that he is to be mentoring. These are the people that he is to be discipling. These are the people that he is supposed to be protecting, and yet we find the, they are caught in the middle of the storm just like he is. Weren't they faithful people? Weren't the 12 disciples dedicated to him and his mission? You know, I believe that there's a misconception among many of us who claim to be followers of Christ, there's this misconception that God owes us something. You know, we, we go to church, we, we say our prayers, we, we, we give tithes, we are in the ministry, we're trying to impact other people. And sometimes we think that God owes us something because of our allegiance or our dedication to him. I must admit that there have been seasons that I have thought that. God, why would you let something like such and such happened to me. I mean, don't I travel across the world? Don't I try to reach people for your name? But the truth is this morning, although it's very offensive to hear, if God really gave us this morning what we deserved, if God really owed us anything, what he really owes us is an eternity separated from his son. Yeah, Jesus is caught in the storm and so are his disciples. I hope this morning that somehow you can, you can visually imagine the disciples and the Son of God in this storm. I, I hope that this morning somehow you, you, you can visualize what it must have been like with these hurricane force winds. The winds are, are churning and blowing. They howl like a pack of wolves. 
The lightning sizzles through the sky. The thunder claps like a shotgun. And, and, and the boat, as it rises and falls and crests upon the waves, I can, I can almost see the disciples, the look on their faces, their stomachs go up into their throat as though they're riding some kind of a roller coaster. I can see the splashing of the water coming over the side of the boat. Eventually, we, we, we see in the story that, that the, the water now is begin, it's beginning to fill the boat. I can hear the, the wrapping of the sail as the wind blows it. I, I hope that you can see what it's like in the storm. Maybe this morning, right where you're seated, or you're one of those people who are watching online, and it's not hard for you to envision the storm because even though you're not caught in a boat, you're caught in your own time of struggle and difficulty. Well, it's important for us to recognize first and foremost that this is not an ordinary storm. We know that it's no ordinary storm. The reason we know that is because we, we are aware that at least four of the 12 disciples were fishermen. These guys were, these were pretty salty guys. These, these are the kind of guys that wouldn't mind going out in the parking lot and getting in a scrape. These are the kind of guys that have spent their whole life on the sea. They can navigate rough waters. They know what it's like to be caught in something like this. And so we know that it's not an ordinary storm because for them to be at the point of fearing death, this must have been something unlike they had ever seen before. You see, every one of us go through different types of storms in this life. That's just living. You can't say that because you know Jesus or because you're trying to walk with God that you are immune to difficulty, that you are immune to problems because our promise is really not for this life. Our promise is for the next life. And so there are going to be troubles. I can honestly say this morning, even though I may not know anything about you, I know this about you. Either you are just got out of a storm, you are in the middle of a storm, or you are heading into a storm. That's just the way that this life works. And so the disciples find themselves in a, in a storm unlike, they've, unlike any they've ever been under. I would say that me and my wife and our ministry, and we've had our own fair share of struggles. We've had our own problems. Life has not been a, a breeze for us by any stretch. But, but when this thing unfolded with Kaylee, it was, it was unlike anything we had ever been through. After Kaylee went from the, uh, the, the, the outpatient clinic Sunday, then, then said, you need to go to the ER. And the next thing you knew, we found ourselves in our home city. And my daughter was so in, in, in pain unlike I've ever seen anybody. I do not exaggerate when I tell you that she had the dry heaves. Of course, you get to a place where when you have the dry heaves, there, there's nothing left in your stomach. My wife and my daughter and my son who are at this moment watching me online would vouch for the fact that those first three days, my daughter would literally dry heave every two to three minutes for four and five hours at a time without stopping. You know what it's like. You've been sick before. You've had a sick stomach. You know what it's like to dry heave. I've tried that on for three days, nonstop. Not to mention she could not move her arms. She could not move her legs. And we were at a loss. And I'll never forget the first night. Now, my, my wife was staying the night. I was there all day. And then at night, my wife would stay. And I would go home and take my son home and then get him up for school the next morning. And I remember the night number one or night number two. I spent a lot of my life memorizing verses. 
As I was walking to my Silverado, I remember Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I quoted that to God. I said, God, no matter what happens, I've never seen anybody in suffer or in pain like this, but no matter what happens, no matter what you do, I will serve you. I remember Job, Job 23, 10, the Lord knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. And I can tell you exactly where I was crossing over that parking lot about 30 feet from my Silverado when the thought occurred to me in my mind. And I even said to God, I said, God, maybe now I have a little bit better understanding of what it was like to watch your son suffer. But I had no idea what was in store for us. When I made that commitment to God that no matter what he did that I was going to serve him, it was before that I knew that we would spend seven months living in a little hospital room. That was long before I would find out that my daughter had a disease that, quite frankly, you're more likely to win the lottery twice than you are get a disease, a disease so uncommon that even the nurses who worked in the hospital had never even heard of the disease, a disease known as stills. How could that be? My 19-year-old daughter, she had been to the hospital one time in her life, it was when she was born. We had brought her home. She had never been back in 19 years. And now we find ourselves in a situation where we have a disease that is incurable. And notice I said we, because when it's your kid, it's not just they have it, it's the whole family has it. You're never doing better than your kids are. That's before I found out that the disease was going to ravage every part of her body. That was before I found out that it was going to affect the valves that go into her heart. That's before I found out that she was going to have pericarditis, a fluid around her heart. That's before I found out that her lungs were going to fill up with fluid where she couldn't even breathe. That's before I found out that they were going to drill a hole in her body for, to get bone marrow. That's before I found out they were going to drill a hole in her leg to find out what this rash was over her leg. That's before I found out, and I could go on for procedure after procedure after procedure. It's before I found out that my wife would literally, and I would spend every single day, I mean every single day, day after day after day, hour after hour after hour, watching our daughter scream and cry in pain. It's before I would hear my daughter say to me, Dad, why is God not helping me? It was before I would hear my daughter say to me, Daddy, please do something. And watch my daughter and know that there was absolutely nothing that I could do. It was before I found out that it would be 15 days that we would be in one of the greatest hospitals in the world. One of the hospitals that you go to when no one else can find out what's wrong with you. And even there, they couldn't even figure out what was wrong with it for 15 days. Yeah, we were going to encounter a storm unlike any storm that we'd ever been in. The next thing that I notice about this storm is... Not only that it's not just your usual everyday storm, it's one of those once-in-a-lifetime storms. I wonder, have you been through one yet? I wonder what would be your response when you do go through one. I had no idea that the promises that I had made to God I was going to end up breaking. All those promises of being faithful that were, were so well-meaning that I was going to be unable to fulfill them. The next thing that stands out to me about the storm is that they were led into the storm. When you read the scriptures, this story is revealed in three, different, three of the four gospels. 
you realize that it was Jesus' idea for them to get in the boat. Now, if you believe in the God being all-knowing, then you understand that Jesus Christ knew good and well that when he told them to get into the boat and go to the other side, exactly what was going to happen. He knew trouble was coming. He could have avoided it. He could have directed them a different way. I would imagine if you're not there now, at some point in your life, you have probably wondered why God didn't prevent something. I would imagine there's probably been some point in your life when you have asked the question, maybe repetitively, God, why? Why haven't you stopped this? Why have you allowed this to happen in my life? Yeah, Jesus could have prevented it, but there are certain things that I believe God allows into your life and mine. No, I don't believe God causes a lot of these things, but God allows them for really two main reasons, and one of them is to reveal who you are. Another one, and more importantly, is to reveal who he is. That promise that I made to God that no matter what happens, I will follow you. I will be faithful. I regret to say that I wish I could stand here to say today and talk about what a great example of faith I've been. I wish I could, I could stand here and talk about how that I was able to just maintain the course and just stay on track, but I would be completely dishonest. Something about watching your kids suffer that affects you in a way that your own suffering doesn't affect you. No one had any answers. I have on my iPhone in my back pocket the phone numbers of some of the greatest spiritual leaders on the planet. I have access to some of the godliest men, but no one had answers. The doctors didn't have answers. My preacher friends didn't have answers. And it seemed as though God was so very silent. I begged to hear his voice. I could hear nothing. I begged to feel his presence. I could feel nothing. I can honestly say, me nor my wife nor my, my whole family has felt, ever felt more isolated or left alone than we have felt in these last seven months. I recall walking in the, late at night, I would pace in the, in the waiting room. You can only stand to watch your daughter scream and cry for so long. All the morphine, all the different painkillers would do nothing. I'm embarrassed to admit this morning that as I walked in the waiting room, I, I told God, that's it. You have to understand that we, we have thousands and thousands of people all over the world praying for us. It seemed like the more they prayed, the worse it got. We had entire churches that were fasting for us. We had people all over the United Kingdom. We had people in Africa. My daughter was getting so many letters and cards every single day that literally the mailroom asked if she was someone famous. The support base could have been no better than what it was. But God seemed so far away. And I told God one night, I told him many nights, but I remember the first night I said, God, it's over. I will never stand and preach about your goodness again. I will never again tell people about how great your love is. I called a close friend of mine. I said, I'm quitting ministry. God is not who I thought he was. 
He's not the merciful, loving, kind God that I thought he was. I even made accusations against him. I, I remembered Luke eleven thirteen that I had memorized years ago that said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I asked God, where are you? Me and my wife had never been more devastated and more heartbroken, and it really culminated We'd been in ICU. Uh, we ended up in ICU three different times. One time in particular, Kaylee's fever had reached uh, 104 degrees. She was going through procedure after procedure. I didn't really understand. I don't really keep up with blood pressure and heart rate and all that because I just never had any of those issues. But, but the machine would beep and it would turn colors and I knew things weren't going right. And, and one night Kaylee had a 104 degree temperature and they came in and it reminded me of one of our deer hunts where, where, where they came in and it was like they were packing a, a deer that had been killed. They, they put ice packs between both of her thighs. They put ice packs on her shoulders and her heart rate was wrong and her blood pressure was wrong and they couldn't fix anything. I'd stepped out in the hallway to get something to drink, and the doctor came up to me, and he said, Jay, I want you to know that we're doing everything we can to rescue your daughter. I knew what he was saying. I knew what his words meant. I knew they were a cautionary word to me in the event that Kaylee didn't make it through the night, and I remember so clearly sitting next to her and watching that machine beep, trying to figure out who were going to be the pallbearers that were going to carry her body at her funeral. I remember John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. I remember John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace because in this world you'll have tribulation. I could remember John 14, 27. Peace I give unto you, not as the world give I unto you. So let not your heart be troubled and let it not be afraid. But friend, in spite of the verses that I could quote, there was no peace. The next thing I notice in the story is we see the storm. We see that it's not some ordinary storm. It's, it's, it's cataclysmic. It's something unlike they've ever been through. We see that Jesus Christ led them into the storm. He allowed it to happen. Don't understand why oftentimes we don't, but we know that he allows us into storms. The next thing I see, we look at this narrative is the disciples. As I mentioned, we, we know that at least four of them were fishermen. Now, as we read the story, we, we, we find out that as this hurricane came up, that the disciples, Jesus had been asleep. He had his head on a pillow. And the story makes it very clear that while Jesus was sleeping, the disciples were fighting the storm on their own. I would imagine they looked at one another and said, we got this. We can handle this. This is not something that we need help with. Just let the master, let the teacher sleep. This is, this is run of the mill for us. Reminds me of the story of the woman that had the issue of blood in the New Testament. You know, if you recall the story, the, this is the woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And, 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 and it says specifically in Scripture that she had went to the doctors and she had spent everything that she had 
All of her best efforts, all of the doctor's best efforts had brought her absolutely nothing but bankruptcy. I remember when we were in Wichita Falls before we were transferred by ambulance to UT Southwestern after being there three days and having the best of the best that we have in our home city. They came in the third day and said, there is nothing else we can do for you. We do not know what's wrong with your daughter. We've run every test possible. We have no solutions and we have no answers. What an empty feeling that is. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you've relied on your connections or your resources or the the power plays that you can make or, or, or your money. And no matter what you've done, you still seem to be in the same place that you've always been. Things have not gotten better, but maybe things have only gotten worse. Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe it's a fight. I don't know what it is. But maybe you, like the disciples, have said, I I got this. I can handle it on my own. You see, sometimes for you to get to the place where God is all you want, you first have to be at a place where God is all you have. Disciples thought they could just handle things on their own. Jeremiah 17.5 says, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, but blessed is the man in whose hope the Lord is. Psalms 118 verse 8 says, it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in men. Doctors don't have any control over my daughter. Their prognosis means nothing. God can do whatever he wants to do. They're subservient to him. The forces of darkness, they, they, the devil can unleash the hounds of hell, but God decides how at bay they stay. God just determines the length of the storm. God determines the amount of the pain. And it doesn't have to be understood. What about you? Have you taken matters in your own hands? It's so hard to let go, especially when it's your only daughter. Well, not only did they take matters in their own hands, the next thing we see in the story is the disciples question if he cared. You see, finally they got to a place where they realized that they could not handle the storm on their own. Finally, they got to a place that it didn't matter what they did, they could not change the circumstances. Missy and I got there quite some time ago. We know that all we can do is pray. We've taken her to the best doctors. We have, she has a task force of 12 people. The most brilliant minds in medicine are overseeing my daughter's case. And yet at the end of the day, we know that there is nothing else we can do and there's really nothing else that the doctors can do that it's only God that we are relying on. The disciples finally realized, I guess, the water got deep enough in the boat. Maybe the sail had begun to tear. Maybe water had began to gush in. Who knows? Maybe they didn't even wake him up because they thought maybe the storms would wake him up on their own. But finally, they've had enough. I wonder this morning, what is it going to take for you and I to truly turn to God? What is it going to take for us to let loose and finally come to a place that we realize we have nothing else but him? All the trite little sayings that people give, they mean nothing. 
But what does mean something is when you get to that place where you truly have let go because you know you have no power. We all know the verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that it's in our weaknesses that he becomes strong. But it's not just the verse, it's, it's, it's the truth that we've got to get to the end of ourselves before we can find God. We've got to come to the place of bankruptcy. We've got to come to the place of ultimate surrender where we realize we have nothing but him. They question if he cared. They finally wake him up. They said, Master, one of them called him Master, one of them called him Teacher, depending on which account that you read. They said, we are dying. And then they say, do you not care? Really what they're doing is not only are they questioning God, but they're blaming God. The question in and of itself was a a form of accusation. Why are you not doing anything? God knows we went through days and weeks and weeks of this. I even had friends of mine that said, you know, Jay, listen, man, I, I, I got to be honest with you, Jay, I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged. I don't know anybody that has more people praying for their family than you do. And, and Kaylee's getting worse by the day, man. What, 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 what hope do I have? We had absolutely no answers. Just a ton of pain, a warehouse of suffering, and such darkness, such loneliness. We cried till we thought we couldn't cry anymore. We screamed, we yelled. Nothing changed. The only thing changed, things got worse. My sister ended up in the same hospital in the emergency room. I'd, I'd see my sister and then go see my daughter and see my sister and go see my daughter. Wrecked my truck when we were in the hospital. My son fractured his foot when we were in the hospital. Two staff members quit our ministry. It's just one thing after the other. I got to be honest with you. I began to wonder. I questioned everything I'd ever believed about God. Questioned if he cared. I regret to admit that I blame God for so many different things. I'm not saying it's right. It's not right. I found out how weak I really was. I thought I was a lot stronger believer than I really was. Maybe some of that overconfidence that I had, I'll tell you one thing, it's been shaken. It's been shaken big time. I wonder this morning how many of you watching by internet or in this room, maybe you haven't said it, but you've had the same question. You've wondered the same thing that the disciples did. Do you really care? Does it really matter to you? My world is falling apart, God, and it seems as though you just don't even care. It seems like you are oblivious. We have prayed. We have begged. God, we don't know what to do. God, don't you care? Maybe you're there this morning. I'll tell you, 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we are to cast all of our care upon him because he cares for us. But if we're honest this morning, it doesn't always seem like it. Maybe we're blaming God. Maybe we've gone past the question if he cares. We're just blaming him. Blaming for something that is going on now. Or maybe something even happened when we were a kid. Our daddy walked out. Our mama walked out. We were sexually abused. We spent our whole life blaming God. 
when really the responsibility lies not at the feet of God. Sometimes the responsibility lies at our own feet. Sometimes it lies at the feet of a family member or a friend. Sometimes it lies at the responsibility of just living in a broken world. I want to tell you God does care. I want to tell you this morning that if you're a believer and you're going through a difficult time, the very fact that you're going through a difficult time proves that he cares. You say, Jay, I don't get it. Well, see, Hebrews 12, 6 says that whom the Lord loves, he chastens every son that he receives. In other words, that what that word means is that God disciples everyone that belongs to him. Maybe God is allowing you to go through your own storm right now as a way of bringing you back home because you've been on the run. Maybe God is allowing you to go through a storm right now because he is in the process of trying to develop a faith in you that has never been there. Maybe God is allowing a storm in your life because you've never had a real relationship with his son. Oh, you've been religious, and, 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 but you wear a mask, but you've never really known Christ. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know this, that he says he cares for you. He says in Psalms 34, 18, that God is near to those that are of a broken heart. They question God. They, they blame God. You know, the, precious, most, the most precious stones are cut by the, sharp, the sharpest machines. Even for a, 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 a diamond to be multifaceted and to having the ability to reflect light means that it must go through a series of cuts. Maybe that's what you're going through right now. Well, we, we see a storm here. We, 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 we see the disciples, and, and, and we got to transition to really what, where it all comes together. we got to look at the Son of God. He was asleep. I mean, there, there's no other way to say it. Jesus was asleep during the biggest storm the disciples had ever gone through. I find it ironic that in all of the Bible, not one time does it ever mention Jesus Christ or God being asleep but one time. The one time that it's mentioned that Jesus Christ is asleep is during the midst of a hurricane. Fascinates me. I wonder if you feel like Jesus is asleep on a pillow somewhere while you're going through trouble. My wife, who's watching me right now, we have looked at one another. We have screamed at one another. Where is God? Where is he? Does he not care? Why does he not come to our rescue? Maybe you have felt as though the Lord was sleeping during your trouble. I don't understand it. I may never understand it. I've come to realize that I'm not really called to understand. I'm just called to trust. We go months. We couldn't feel him. We couldn't hear him. 
seemed so silent. But you see, for all the accusations that the disciples made, he may have been asleep, but at least he was there. At least he was there. If the boat was going to go down, they weren't going to go down without him. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So it had to be enough that even though they were angered by his sleep, they must have been satisfied. They were called to be satisfied that he at least was there. The Bible tells us that he speaks. I've had a picture up. I bought it 20 years ago. I went to a Christian bookstore. It was like 110 bucks. I couldn't afford it, but I wanted it. I saved up for it. It hangs in my office. You know, you can see is Jesus back. You can see the, the winds rolling. You can see the disciples in the boat looking up and at him. His arms are outstretched and you can tell what's going on. He's speaking to the winds and the waves. The, the story tells us that Jesus just said, calm, be still. The waves became instantaneously like glass. The wind became so still that a feather wouldn't even move. When he decided that enough was enough, he, he calmed the storm. When he decided that the disciples had learned the lesson, he calmed the storm. And then when he finished speaking to the winds and the waves, he speaks to the disciples. I believe that today he longs to speak to you right where you're at in your need. Maybe like me, you, there's been more days of God's silence. Been too many days. I told Missy, it was like, I began to question if God even, I mean, everything I've ever believed about him. What do you do when all your Ideas about God come crashing down. But after he spoke to the winds and the waves, the story tells us that he speaks to the disciples. And he asks such a strange question. He says, why are you afraid? I, I would imagine, I, knowing what I know about Peter, I, I'm really surprised that Peter didn't come up with some smart aleck answer. I, I would imagine the disciples probably looked at one another and thought, are, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you really serious? We've been traveling these waters for years. We, we, we've never seen a hurricane like this. Now, they're not answering to it. You know this is going through their mind, and yet the, the, the boat is almost sinking. We, the sails have been ripped 
we're, we're on the verge of dying and you're asking us why are we afraid? You know what Jesus is really saying? To them, to Kaylee, to my wife, my son, my sons, me, to you. See, I believe what he was really saying is this. Why don't you believe? I mean, you, you, you've seen my miracles. You've seen me raise the dead. After all that I've done, have I not proved my love for you? What more can I do? John 15, 13 says that greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I believe Jesus saying, why are you afraid, was really saying, you still don't trust me? Even now you don't trust me? God knows I'm so guilty. I, I want to believe. Some days I do. I want to believe, and some days I don't. I'm so tired of getting bad news. In our case, we've been to the ER three times in the last three weeks. One week since my daughter got home, she got a UTI. You say, no big deal. It's a big deal when you've had all she's had. The next week, she got a stomach ulcer. This week, my wife called me Monday or Tuesday and said, the CAT scan that they did on Kaylee last week, she already has two cracked vertebrae because the steroids that kept her alive have weakened her bones to the point that her spinal cord's cracking. My wife called me crying this week and said, Jay, not only has her back not gotten better, but we found out that there are two new vertebrae that now have cracks in them. I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I don't come here today having answers. I don't come today with a, a four-point plan about what to do when you go through a storm. I don't come here today as a, a person that has all the answers. I come today as a person who's been riding out a storm. A person who's trying to understand. Jesus says, where's your faith? You know, at the end of the day, it's really all that matters. You see, one day when you and I die, what determines where we will spend eternity is determined by whether or not we had faith. Jesus said in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can go to church, you can sing, you can give. But without faith, you can't even please God. And Jesus said that according to your faith, I'll do unto you. So many days I say to God, help my unbelief. 
I want to I wanna trust you. Jesus' question to the disciples, I believe, is this question to you and to me. Why do you doubt me? Why don't you have faith? The story culminates with the disciples. It says, I'll read it to you again. It says, uh, verse 41, and they feared exceedingly. I did some research that on that this week. We read that they were fearful in the storm, and now we read that the storm is over, and they are fearful again. But it's not the same fear. It's two different words in the Greek language. The first fear was based on a fear of death. It was a fear based on suffering and pain. But the fear that they experienced after watching Jesus calm the winds and the waves, they, they realized that he's God. And they, their fear is not dangerous fear, it's amazement. They are marveling at the power of the Son of God. You, you see, in the storm, they saw him in a way they could have never seen him had they not gone through it. They saw his power in a way they would have never known it. I think that's God's plan for every storm to show himself in a way unlike we've ever seen him before. And then the disciples no longer ask Jesus questions. They ask themselves. They said, who is he? Who is he? It's the question that has been asked throughout all eternity. It's a question that you have to answer today. Who is he? In the hallway of my office on Friday, we had a guy working on computers. He told me he was an atheist. Super guy. He comes to our office and works on different projects. He's not an employee, obviously, but he works on our computers. And I said, who is Jesus? He said he was a really good man, but he wasn't God. It's a question you've got to answer today. It's a question that one day God the Father will ask you, who was Jesus to you? Was he just a teacher? Was he just some religious experience that you got on Sunday or a genie in a bottle that you called on when you got in trouble? Who is he? Is he some vengeful God that's just looking to unleash terror and storms and pain and suffering on your life and mine because he takes delight in it? Or is he as he says he is? The way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to God the Father. It's a question I've asked myself a lot, a question I still ask as we walk through this journey. But it's a decision you've got to make. What will he be to you?
will he truly be your God, your master, your savior? Will you just carry around your anger and bitterness and blame at him for things that have happened in your life? Will you allow those difficulties to turn you toward Christ or turn you away from Christ? Will you allow your weakness to make you strong in him? Will you turn to some doctor, some woman, some man, some resource? Who is he to you? Is he truly your Lord, your God? I'll close with this. As I said a while ago, I, I have a lot more questions than I do answers. I resign myself to the fact that there's a lot of things I may never know. Behind the veil of Sunday morning clothes, there are scars on me that will never leave. I will never forget the last seven months of my life. I don't know how much longer it will go on. Our trouble, our difficulty, we pray every day for God to stop the storm. He hasn't yet. Come home many days, still watching my daughter cry. I used to be one of the most faithful people to read God's word every day. But watching my daughter suffer stole a lot of that. I go weeks. Couldn't even talk to God. So hurt. We got home a few weeks ago and the place that has always been sacred to me is my closet. It's just a closet. But it's a place where I've always went to get alone. It's a place where, for whatever reason, God speaks to me in that closet in a way that he doesn't speak to me anywhere else. It's cramped. I'm 6'6". It's hard to lay down in there. I have to bend my knees. I was laying in my closet about three weeks ago, right after we got home. I was telling God, I, I just needed some direction. I, I, I don't have to know all the answers. I just, I want you to tell me something. I just need to hear something from you. God showed me something that I've been missing all along. It's the only answer that I have for me, and if you were to ask me, it would be the only answer that I would have for you. Somehow I missed it. I was there. I saw it, but it never registered till that night I was laying in my closet asking God to just send somehow, some way, reveal himself to me. Where God took me back to was we'd been in the hospital. We were in ICU. 
that point, they didn't even have a diagnosis. They said that they needed to run a pick line in Kaylee's neck. It's not something they do. You're not doing well if they have to run one in your neck, but it's basically a wire that goes through your jugular down to your heart and enables them to monitor different things on your heart and your lungs. They told Kaylee that she was fearful. She was already in enough pain as was, and they told Kaylee it would be 15 to 20-minute process. Now, UT Southwestern is a training hospital. I asked if I could, Kaylee wanted me to go into the room with her. They normally do not allow that. But they made an exception because of her age being 19 and her desire to have me in the room said, as long as I sat in the corner, wore a, a mask over my mouth that I could, I could be there just for her support. Three people from the medical team came in. They took a scalpel and they slit her neck open. I sit in the corner and watch the blood run down her neck. They hooked up an ultrasound machine where they could see different arteries and veins to make sure that they could run the wire where it needed to be ran. First person that tried, tried numerous times. Kaylee screaming in pain. Couldn't get it through. The second physician went to work. I could see everything that was going on on the screen trying to run that wire down Kaylee's neck again, same issue, tried over and over and over. Kaylee is having a conniption. She's already hurting enough as is without having to go through this. This goes on for an hour. I can't even explain to you what it was like to watch Kaylee in such hellish pain for an hour. I was about to lose my mind. I literally thought I was going to go crazy. I'm sure she did, th thought she would as well. And after three people couldn't make things work, they brought in, I don't know what his title is. I guess he's, he's the chief physician. They brought in the master. He came in and he said to Kaylee, I'm so sorry for what you've been going through. But we have to do this. No escape. And then my daughter, something happened. It was one of the most significant things I've ever seen in my life. It's difficult for me to even talk about it. I don't know that I've ever seen anything that affected me more deeply than what I was about to witness. My daughter spoke to a man she did not know. A man she had no reason to trust. And my daughter said to this man, 
who was about to inflict a living hell upon her. I believe in you. I know you can do this. I sat in the corner, I thought, it's not possible that I heard what I just heard. My 19-year-old daughter has just told a complete stranger, someone about to make her suffer. She has no reason to trust him. But yet she says to him, I believe in you. It would be impossible for me to explain. How shocked. I literally, the first thought came to my mind was, she's so much better than me. I wish I could be like her. And then this physician, as I'm trying to figure out, did I really hear what I think I heard? The physician says to my daughter, Thank, thank you, Kaylee. I believe in you too. It had an impact on me when I watched it. I told Missy the second we got out, I'm like, you're, you're never going to believe what Kaylee said. How she could be so trusting of someone. But that night in my closet, it was like God reminded me of this, and it was like God was saying, this is all I've ever asked of you. Nothing more, nothing less. Kaylee set the example for all that I want you to do. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the reasons. It's okay that you don't understand. It's okay I can handle, Jay, your anger and your frustration at me. But I let you watch your daughter so that you could learn from her what I'm wanting from you. All I'm asking of you, Jay, is just believe in me. To just say like your daughter said, your daughter taught you this, to be able to say, I believe in you. And that's where I stand this morning. I can't say that I believe what is going to be or not going to be the outcome. I can't say... I understand the process. I can't say what's going to happen next week. But I can say this. If my daughter can believe in a doctor who she does not know, who is making her suffer, I can, I will, and I do believe in the Son of God. That's what he asks of you. John 6, 29. This 
is the work of God. This is the work of God. What is it? John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. This morning. That's the call. There's no workbook of solutions. There's no blueprint for success. There's one call. Believe. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Bow your head and close your eyes, please. This morning, it would be wrong of me to end this service without first and foremost asking you, have you ever truly began a relationship with Jesus? This morning, we're not talking about have you joined a church or prayed some prayer, went through catechism or confirmation or baptism. No. The most important question that can ever be asked to you is who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he to you? Was there ever a time that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody moving, nobody leaving. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I have to ask this morning. Could you say right where you're seated, Jay, I know without a doubt that there was a time in my life when I repented of my sins and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Jay, if today would be to the day I, I would stand before God, I know that he would welcome me into heaven because I have received Jesus Christ. It's real. Could you honestly say that? If God said to you, who is Jesus to you, could you honestly say to him, he is my God and my Savior? If you could not say unequivocally, Jay, I know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Nobody's looking around. I am not going to embarrass you in any way. But with nobody looking around, if you'd say, Jay, I, could, I cannot say that I know that for a fact. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Just right where you're seated, just raise your hand and say, Jay, I don't know that for sure. Would you keep it up just for a minute? There's several of you. Would you lift it high? I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. There's many of you. Just keep it up high. I will not embarrass you. Just raise it up high. There are many, many of you. Anybody else? There's hands literally going up all over this room. Anybody else? Be honest. Say, Jay, I don't know that. Maybe you're Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you've been through baptism, whatever. But you'd say, Jay, I, I really don't know for certain that Jesus Christ is truly my God and Savior. Anybody else? There, there's there's got to be several dozen people. Anybody else? Hands, still being, hands are still being raised. Anybody else? Quickly. Anybody else? Jay, just pray for me, man, because I, I, I don't know for sure but I want to know. Anybody else? People still raising hands. Anybody else? I don't want to leave anybody out. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. 
But there are people literally all over this room, men, women, young people, older people, middle-aged people, anybody else. Jay, pray for me, man. I just, I don't know. I don't know. You may put your hands down. I want to speak to you first. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, those of you that raised your hands, obviously I'm, we're not up here doing a count, but I, there's got to be at least two or three dozen of you. There's got to be at least 30, 40 people. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're one of those people that raised your hand and said, Jay, I do not know, would you lift your head and look right this way while everybody else keeps their head bowed? Just lift your head and look right this way. If you're one of the literally 35, 40, maybe even more that said, Jay, I don't know. Everybody else, you've got your head bowed and you're just praying. Obviously, there is no way I can make eye contact with all of you because you're literally spread out. There are people all the way at the back and there's people here at the front, all over. But if you have your head raised, you're one of those people that said, Jay, I just don't know. Just keep looking right this way, if you would, just for a second. I want to tell you this morning, uh, obviously, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know your story. I don't, I don't know where you come from. You don't really know my personal story. But, but let me just say quickly, I grew up in church. I had been baptized on three different occasions. I went to summer youth camp. I was religious and I was very lost. I didn't really meet Christ until I was 21. And I want to tell you, those of you that are looking at me, there's so many of you, and I, again, you just keep looking this way. Everybody else is praying. I want to tell you this morning, nothing, nothing else matters more than getting this one thing right with God. Nothing. There's nothing going on in your life or not going on in your life that could matter more than you getting this relationship with Jesus Christ nailed down. Maybe you were brought here today for that one reason, so that you could begin that relationship with him. You say, well, Jay, what do I got to do? It's so simple that a child could understand it. Some of you, you already know the story. Some of you, 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 you could give the gospel better than some preachers. Jesus says, if you come to me, I'll never cast you away. Right where you're seated, those of you, 40, 50, there may be 60 of you, there's so many. Those of you to look at me, I want you to know that according to what Jesus said, if you would be willing this morning to believe, to put your faith in him, not in church, not in good deeds, not in anything else, but if you would put your faith, your belief in Jesus, if you would be willing to turn your back by his own power on your sin and receive him as your Lord and your God and your Savior right here, right now, this morning, right where you're seated, Jesus says that he would come into your life and make all things new. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray a prayer. Now, I want to be clear about this. The Bible does not say that you are saved by praying a prayer. The Bible says you are saved by your willingness to turn your back on your sin and put your faith in Christ. 
But one of the ways that we do that is by prayer. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the, those, I don't know, 40, 50, 60, however many there is, all over this room of all ages that are looking at me that said, Jay, I just don't know. If this morning, right where you're seated, you are willing by his power to turn your back on your sin and receive Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now, right where you're seated. It's not some magic words. It's your plea to God Almighty saying, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Just right where you're seated, you could silently pray this prayer with me. It goes something like this. You could say, dear God, I come to you in Jesus' name. God, I admit that I am a sinner. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that your son died on the cross for me. I believe he took my place. Father God, I believe that your son, Jesus, rose from the grave. And right here, right now, this morning, I want to put my faith into your son to be my Lord and my God and my Savior. Jesus Christ, right now, I invite you to come into my life. I want you to be my king. I don't want to ever doubt again whether or not I know you. So I invite you, Jesus, right here, right now, to save me, to come into my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you just lift your hand up high? Just lift it up high, wherever you're at, all over this room. Just keep it up for a second. Anybody else? It wasn't just some prayer. It was your way of calling on Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Anybody else? Quickly, just lift your hand up. Anybody else? Lift it up high. My goodness. Keep people's hands still. Anybody else? Quickly, quickly. You prayed this prayer with me, invited Christ in your life. Anybody else? Wow, dozens of you. You may put your hands down. Now, this is where we're going to close out the service. Everybody stand up quickly. Everybody, everybody, everybody stand up. I know the service has gone a little bit later than usual. Today we're gonna we're gonna close the service out a little bit different than normal. I believe that there are many of you in this room that, man, you're hurting and you're struggling, you're going through your own pain and your own suffering. Maybe you've reached a place of what seems to be hopelessness and despair. I'm going to invite you in just in a second to come down and join us. Pastor David can pray over you. We can just ask God to get involved in our storm, to bring relief, to bring faith. I don't know what your storm is, but maybe you, maybe it's marital problems. Maybe it's financial problems. Maybe I don't know. But I'm going to invite you to step out from where you're seated in just a second and come down here to the front. We're going to pray together. And then all those of you that raised your hand and just prayed to receive Christ, I want to invite you to get out from where you're standing and come down and join us. There's nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed of. 
And maybe you're just a person that knows the Lord and you're away from God. And you need to make your stand for Christ today. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to ask you to be unashamed, unashamedly get up from where you're, where you're standing. Come down and join us. We're going to collectively pray together. Pray for you. Don't wait to see who's coming. Just make your stand. And when I say amen, they're going to immediately begin to sing, my brother is. And you just come. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name, Lord. I thank you for many that have received you as their Savior this morning. God, I know there are many that are hurting, fighting their own storm, Lord. We just want to be right with you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.